previously on the Sick Invite podcast. So I guess they were worried about it, like damaging it or popping out. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> popping out might, yeah. not, might not be the right word. Yeah. But right. Well, like technically, that. I think it is, right? I, it, for you, it may, might, might actually happen. You are now listening to the Sick Invite podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is The Sick Invite Podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments, big or small, chronic or temporary. The Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. What is wrong with you? Who? You. Oh, um, no, I'm doing good. I'm a little sleepy, but otherwise I'm excited to do The Sick Invite Podcast. What about you? How are you today? I feel good. I sat in the sun a little bit today, but with sunscreen. Kissed by the sun. I was not because I wore sunscreen. That's just like an expression. I don't think that means anything literally. Anyway. This show is brought to you by KillerHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Do you like our show? Please tell everyone about it. Follow us, like us, and share our content at the Sick Invite Podcast. We also have some merchandise available, including our hoodies, mugs, stickers, and buttons. We are now on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get early access to our episodes and bonus content, which is mostly us talking about movies and television. Please send us your story through our website. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and we will contact you with further instructions on how to come on our show. So we're kind of recording at a different time than we normally do, and and uh, producer Klaus has to send us no notes. And so this is kind of like a catch-all where he goes, like, our producer is supposed to be, like, real great. Like, tell us, like, what we can, you know, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Like, can you lower the microphone here? Can you lower the instruments there? Blah, 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 blah. But this time he just goes, no notes, great job, which is, I think, a catch-all for, like, I didn't feel like doing any work this week. Yeah, I think you're probably right. (laughs) So, but, hey, I'll take a comment when I can get it, don't you think? Mm Mm-hmm. So today's episode is a little different. This is my final project for my embodiment and disability course. Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you to CUNY School of Professional Studies and Dr. Kaznitz for allowing me the opportunity to share my findings in an accessible way that other people who uh, want to learn uh, will be able to enjoy. Do I get any credits for this as well? Uh, production credits, yes. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> this is a lot more fun uh, than writing a paper, so I'm very excited to present it this way. You're right. So originally I planned uh, to propose an essay on disability, illness, and neurodivergence in media. So I reached out to our podcast Instagram listeners and some friends and family, uh, asking for examples that they thought were good representations of disability in media. And I quickly learned that uh, many of these people were wrong. They had a false understanding of disability and what is appropriate representation. The listeners had had a wrong understanding? Yes. What does that mean? So you asked them about, you asked them what they thought of certain things? Yeah, so I, I said, show me a movie uh, where you think that disability was represented great. Um, and I'll get into some examples that they uh, cited. But so, for example, they said, like, let, let they said, what's Eaton Gilbert great? Um, so you asked them, what is a good example yes. of representation? And a lot of the examples that were given were actually very bad (laughs) in your opinion in your opinion or what do you mean in my uh research findings yes okay uh so today we're going to discuss movies and film representation and i will cite uh the films that get it right who did a fabulous job and then i'll cite where other ones went wrong and i guess you'll explain why why one is better than another yep and why you may think that it is good uh and how we can do better okay so a lot of these movies, it really just, they didn't age well. So they're a sign of the times and they are a chance to learn. So I do want to make it very clear that 
this episode is not us canceling any of these films or television. I do enjoy a lot of these. I grew up watching a lot of them. And most of them had good intentions. Um, so in addition to learning about disability and its tropes, this is also a lesson on how to reflect and take critiques from marginalized communities. Uh, and if they say that it offends them to try and learn why and then move on. That's interesting to take critique. I think that's probably, that's pretty interesting what it, what that means, like to take a critique. So like to, I guess like people, whenever they say like, you know, that, I think that's what like canceling people thing probably think right is like if you say hey you shouldn't say that or shouldn't do that it's like all right then i don't you know i don't exist as a person or i can't say anything but it's like just understanding how to take criticism which i think is hard in any walk of life so mm -hmm. specifically when it's like about like how i discuss something or how i think i saw something it's it's embarrassing to think that you're wrong about something mm -hmm. or maybe that you could learn something better or that somebody because it, it comes down to like that hey what are you smarter than me yeah what are you better than me <laughs> exactly that you know uh, and then some people might think that it's not a big deal because it's just a movie, but we'll get into why f uh, false representation can be dangerous to these communities. Right. I, I, yeah, I think that's what's important is because, like, are, you're not an expert in, like, you know, movies and, and representation in movies. You you just did kind of a look-see, mm -hmm. and these are your findings based on that. Yes. Yeah. This is a brief research uh, from my master's degree. All right. <laughs> then let's, so the, let's, the uh, hold on, hold on. I'll do a little transition here. So let's get into it. <laughs> Am I allowed to speak now? Of course. I just wanted <laughs> okay. to, this is where that's that's where I would add the little drum fill and then you would start. Okay. So the shows and movies that uh we're gonna talk today are listed in the description, so feel free to go watch those first and then come back for the lecture. Mm -hmm. And I've also included the literature which I'll refer to throughout the episode if you want to read more about the issue. So I guess we should begin with defining disability. So when you think of disability, what comes to mind? Are you asking me? You and the audience. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't. Uh, I th disability usually is is uh, um, someone with some either a mental or physical type of uh, ailment of some kind. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, um, uh, when they hear disability, their initial thought is somebody in a wheelchair, um, mostly because the universal sign for disability is a wheelchair or somebody in a wheelchair. Right. Or you may have pictured somebody who's blind with a cane or something physical, a visible difference that you can point out, or maybe a cognitive disability, mental illness. Right, right. So Dr. Kasnitz and Shuttleworth, they define disability as the negative social response or social exclusion that may come into play because of perceived impairments. So in other words, disability is a social construct. And we've talked about that quite a bit on this show, uh, in which you are only as disabled as society allows you to be. Right. So the social model of disability separates disability from impairment. Now, the World Health Organization, they define impairment as any loss or abnormality of mental, physiological, or anatomical structure or function. What does that mean? So it, I'll give you an example. So in my what case... What the heck does that mean? <laughs> That's a lot of words. So in my case, uh, my impairment is my Crohn's disease. My immune disease, my immune system is overworked, causing chronic inflammation throughout my whole body. But my disability surrounds the lack of bathroom access, the expectation to hold a full-time job, mm -hmm. the stigma of taking a lot of drugs, things like that, the societal blockages. Oh, I see. So disability is a spectrum. It includes physical disabilities, mental disabilities, chronic illnesses, neurodivergence, and it's also intersectional. So people of all races, ages, genders, classes experience disability, and those factors certainly influence disability as an experience so me 
as a woman full of privilege, I'm a cisgender white woman with health insurance. Certainly. I'm skinny. I have a decent paying job. I don't often feel disabled because I have access to care and accommodations. Not bad looking, by the way. I'll throw that no, in there. No, thanks. Uh, so somebody uh, who has my exact disease might not have my privilege, um, so they probably feel otherwise. Um, so when we talk about representation, simply casting a disabled person to check off the box that you did is not representative because it's so intersectional. I don't represent all disabled people, even though I'm a disabled person. Mm-hmm. You know me? You know, you know what I'm saying? I guess, yeah. I mean, this is this is the part of the lecture where it's usually like they're just trying to kind of set the rules and the understandings of and definitions of what things mean. So usually for this part of the, I just kind of try and hang on for dear life, and then when it gets <laughs> to the rest of it, usually I can hang on. So I'm hanging on, but continue, please. That, uh, so a disability theory, I'm literally getting a whole degree on it. It's much more broad than that. Well, I think <laughs> but no, that's I think, my in I a think, nutshell. I think you did a fair job of laying it out. I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just hanging on, <laughs> and I'm just trying to keep it in my head for so I can understand the next part this so all right so let's get into it so representation uh the obvious answer in film and media of how to represent disabled people is to hire disabled actors to play disabled characters so let's start out on a positive note of people that did it right or i guess film industries <laughs> producers what do you call it that did it right i don't know Production companies? Let's start with uh, you're asking who FX. Ma- you're saying who makes movies? Who makes TV? Oh, Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. The, the show business. Show, all right, here's where showbiz. Showbiz, uh, baby. Showbiz did it right uh, in a lot of things. So let's talk about FX, uh, American Horror Story. You ever watch it? No. You're scared of it? Yeah. I love it. So uh, on season one I called- have, I don't have cable. <laughs> Neither do I. We live in the same house. American (laughs) Horror Story (laughs) is available on Netflix now for those of you who are like us and don't have cable. Um, Jamie Brewer is an actress who plays a character called Adelaide in season one of Murder House. And then she comes back as another character. Murder House? Murder House. Yeah, there's a lot of murder in the house. Spoiler alert. Uh, So each season of American Horror Story is a new uh, story. So there's new characters. So in season one... She plays a character named Adelaide, and in season three, she plays a character named Nan in Coven. And in both seasons, her character has Down syndrome, as does the actress in real life. So you can watch that on Netflix. Right. Uh, similarly, we got Breaking Bad. I know you watched that one. That, uh, yeah, that I saw. On AMC. It aired from 2008 to 2013. Yep. R.J. Mitty, I think that's how you say it. Mitty? Mitt? Plays <laughs> Walter Jr. Walter Jr., a real jerk in the show, I must say. He is a moody teenager, as most are. Um, he plays Walter's teenage son, and both the character and the actor have cerebral palsy. That is also on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Then we got a current show on television, which I can't, <laughs> again, we don't got cable, but it's available on Hulu uh, the next day. We got Everything's Going to Be Okay, which airs on Freeform on Thursdays. Actress Kayla Cromer plays Matilda, and both the character and the actress are autistic. Mm-hmm. So these shows interpret disability differently in american horror story and breaking bad the disability is a character trait but the storyline doesn't necessarily surround their disability so nan adelaide and walter jr they do face bullying or discrimination because of their disability but their characters aren't necessarily meant to like tug at your heartstrings or be pitied because of it 
Yeah, I, that's, I think that's probably true. I mean, I've only seen Breaking Bad, but I will say I know that it is a it is a point of the plot for Walter, which is kind of like he's trying to raise money, and it's kind of like an additional factor to make his plight more sympathetic for the reason he needs to raise money. Mm-hmm. And I know that's in the, the Sopranos, too, where it's like one of the captains has like a son that has a multiple sclerosis, something like that, like just to give him a reason for maybe turning on the gang is basically because it just gives him a little bit to, of, you know, extra cost for medical stuff or, or things of that nature. So I, I think your point is correct. I just think that the, it his disability. Uh, dis- his disability, I believe, is a plot point in that regard. I, I think it certainly um, adds to Walter's um, character development, and we do get into that a little bit more uh, with disability tropes. Um, but for the character it's himself, he uh, it, it really doesn't uh, add too much to him. I think, as you were talking about, his broody teenagerness uh, is a much bigger character trait than his disability is. I think that's true. So everything's going to be okay. It is my favorite show on television right now. It is lighthearted and silly while addressing really emotional topics, including grief and sexuality. Um, And much of the show surrounds Matilda's autism. So it explains autism in a way that a neurotypical person like me can understand without being condescending or offensive to autistics. So the show does everything right. They don't make fun of her traits, but they also don't ignore the ableism she faces, including from her own family. And it's receiving excellent feedback from the autism community. And people are feeling seen and represented and not spoken for. So Nira Birch, who is an autistic woman, wrote an article for The Mighty, and she shared, I'm not going to lie, this is a difficult show to watch, but for very good reasons. I see so much of myself in Matilda. I have not made it through an episode yet that hasn't brought me back to a difficult time in high school. I cried so much watching this, but I have found myself laughing through my tears. Mm. So with shows like that, it's important to listen to what the disability community is actually saying about it and in this case excellent feedback so it seems like the thing you're highlighting here is that in these cases there's people that are involved kind of you know they're portraying uh, a disability that is what the character has but why is that important so we can talk about what happens when you don't involve the people that you are trying to represent there's a lot of things that can go wrong so Uh, let's start with um, the film Ray, uh, the biopic about Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. So there is potential for overrepresentation or exaggeration of their experience, um, to- something told as the onlooker rather than the actual individual who experienced it. So it's important to involve the community, or in this case, the specific person that you're writing about. So Ray Charles in the 2004 biopic Ray if you don't know, Ray Charles was a musician who debuted in the 1950s, and he was a blind man. He was not born blind. He became blind around the age of seven due to, I think, glaucoma. But he not, did not view his blindness as a disability. And we can get into why in another episode, because that's a huge issue as well. Uh, but he really didn't identify with the community. So hiring a blind actor was not important to him. Instead, he was more concerned about hiring a musician. And according to a New York Times article, which was published in 2004, Ray Charles, um, after forcing Jamie Foxx to a super complicated jazz session where Jamie Foxx thought he didn't get it, he goes, that kid's got it. Well, you mean to play the piano. To play the piano. So Jamie Foxx actually knows how to play the piano. Yes. And he he, felt that was important. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so Jamie Foxx didn't sing in the film, but he did play the piano in the film, even though he is a singer. And can sing, yeah. So um, he was really concerned also about the portrayal of his addiction, because Ray Charles did have uh, a drug addiction, um, which is also portrayed in the film. Um, but this is something that Jamie Foxx also experienced, so that is another reason why Ray Charles wanted this person to play the role. So you might be thinking... But they're actors. They should act, learn the part, and portray it. And that's a big argument that what a lot of people... Wait, wait, wait. What voice is that? <laughs> what is that supposed to be? That's the way I read uh, c- uh, comments on Facebook articles. Oh, I see. Um, actually, usually, I'm like, you don't even think, but they're actors. Yeah, you always they do it. You always do it. Yeah, I mean, you always do a mean <laughs> voice, which is not nice. I mean, I think there's people that maybe don't have information that are generally con- concerned, or maybe they're <laughs> crying out for information, and here you are to present it, but you give them a weird voice. So yeah, I'm snarky. I think you apologize for the voice and move on with your discussion. That's what I think you do. I, I apologize just, for I'm the just, voice. All right, thanks. So, uh, but you may be thinking that, and that's a valid question, if they're well, actors. They, uh, yeah, but now they probably feel like a jerk. <laughs> Um, but that is something that a lot of people say that they're actors and they should have the chance to act like somebody. But and we talked about this a lot on our holiday special when we were talking about representation we did. in holiday episodes in the archives about authenticity. Like and, and subscribe, and how it makes a difference, uh, and it, how it influences the picture. So having Jamie Foxx as a musician was a fantastic idea, and if you compare that performance to. Rami Malek's performance in Freddie Mercury's uh, biopic. Both Academy Award winning, by the way. 2018 biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Malek is an excellent actor, but he's not a musician, nor is he a queer man. So the film lacked authenticity in that regard. So Asia Romano uh, wrote a Vox article stating, Bohemian Rhapsody's toxic depiction of queerness is subtle but pervasive and completely avoidable. And they cited the subplot of the predatory gay villain trope and decided that the film robbed any gay men of having meaningful and emotional relationships. And we see this lack of authenticity again, uh, twice with Eddie Redmayne, uh, once in his portrayal of the, in The Theory of Everything, and again in The Danish Girl. So let's start with The Danish Girl. Did you see it? I think I watched that one without you. The Danish Girl? Yeah. No, I know it's not. Uh, so the Danish girl is about a trans woman. Named I think he won the, did he win the Academy Award for that too? He did. Mm. Uh, the Danish girl is about a trans woman named Lily Elb. Uh, Carol Grant wrote an IndieWire article titled "Regressive, Reductive, and Harmful: A Trans Woman's Take on Hooper's Embarrassing Danish Girl." Uh, she stated that she was tired of being touted by cis media for the bravery of his transformation. It's discomforting as hell to be so early in my own transition and seeing words like bravery and heroism used to describe Redmayne, even though he'll be able to shed off the experience after his probable Oscar win. And they call their performance a caricature of femininity. And I know that he has some other issues, some other performances as well, Eddie Redmayne. Mm-hmm. So, so that, uh, I guess, in summary, is kind of a slap in the face to the trans community. But can I also say, I mean, y- you know, you're, you're citing to an article here, but like, is this the consensus or is this what most people are saying or is this just one person's opinion or what? You got to talk to me about this. It was definitely what a lot of people were saying. There was uh, definitely people who... Um, loved the role i mean i i thought it was a good film um but i knew that this was problematic that he was portraying a trans woman for this exact reason you know that that you know people say that it's so brave for him to do this but what's brave about it when it's it is such a slap in the face of the trans community when 
exactly what this person said that it's a character that he's playing it's not a lifestyle that they're doing it's like it's a job you know he can quit this at any time i could probably say that i think most actors or actresses in any movie the 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 term brave or heroic is probably a little bit overstated but you don't really hear it that often i mean i guess they're just more referring to i guess something that they had was going on at the time but i don't recall them you know that's a very specific like praise well it's like saying it's groundbreaking that a man would wear a dress and wear some makeup if if that's if that's (laughs) what was being said at the time then certainly yeah yeah so i mean this there was also some backlash about his role as stephen hawking in the theory of everything um and this show, uh, like the role that he played in The Danish Girl, this shows different points of the character's life, and in this case, as his ALS progresses. So people, some people were saying, well, you know, how could you hire a disabled person to play different points in their life, you know, when they could walk and when they, the disease wasn't as progressed? But there are plenty of films <laughs> where different actors played people in different points of their lives. I mean, can you think of any on the, off the top of your head? Not even Films or Not television? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's he's the same person. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's the same actor, so that was a terrible example. Uh, different points in their lives. Well, there's the Brian Wilson movie, mm-hmm. Love and Mercy. There's also, I think there's a movie about... Um, well, they do it in The Sopranos, too, with Uncle Junior. They do? Yeah, when they go back in time. In the, there's a couple oh, episodes. Oh, yeah, that's, I guess that is true. And I guess the, in the movie that's coming out, the, the younger version is played by somebody else. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's true. So, they, so that is... You know what they don't do with the Irishman? <laughs> <laughs> so this is something um, that is done. Uh, it's not like an outrageous thing to have different actors playing somebody at different points in the life. Um, so you're saying, you're saying that you should have had a different person to reflect the physical... Um, description of what the person was in the, as their ALS was progressing at that yeah, time. Yeah, they could have. Uh, I mean, I'm no expert again, as we said, but this is definitely something that could have been done. Um, so an argument that's made here is that, oh, well, this is like a complicated uh, person or a complicated thing to represent, but there's always ways. So, for example, in Orange is the New Black, which is a series on Netflix, Laverne Cox is a trans woman who plays a trans character, Sophia, and Laverne's brother, M. Lamar, played Sophia in flashbacks before she transitioned. So something like this could, maybe could have been done uh, in the theory of everything. And maybe the idea would have come across the table if the writers and directors and actors were not all able-bodied individuals. So if there was somebody there that would have been able to bring up that point and, and, and make a understanding that it actually was, uh, it would does matter, that kind of idea does matter to someone. Mm-hmm. I see. So with uh, that in mind, let's refer back to Everything's Going to Be Okay and Why It's a Fabulous Show. So when asked about how they were going to portray autism, the show's creator, Josh Thomas, stated, the way we approached it was to not just assume that it's going to be hard, you know? Um, And this is where Sia went wrong with her film, Music. And we could have a whole podcast about what's wrong with that film. Uh, Full disclosure, I did not watch it. I was asked by the autism community to not support it, so I'm listening to them and I will not support it. Sia originally hired an autistic actress, but soon fired her and deemed keeping her... Allegedly. No, she she said this. No. <laughs> she, I'm trying to avoid a lawsuit here. She she said this. So she they did hire an autistic actress, and she thought that this was a good answer. Um, but they fired the actress um, because they thought that keeping her at doing the job was cruel uh, because she was having a hard time. So rather than accommodating her, uh, they fired her. 
<laughs> so she later cast uh, Maddie Ziegler for the role, who is a neurotypical dancer. And when asked about this decision, CO responded defensively and dismissively to the autistic community. She uses, you know, quote unquote, nice words like special abilities rather than just saying disabled or autistic. And when autistic actors said that they were available for the role but were never given the opportunity for it, uh, and they were questioning her initiative to hire autistic actors, Sia responded, maybe you're just a bad actor. And that is written on Twitter. Right. So the problem we have here, Maddie Ziegler's portrayal of autism sparked the hashtag nothing about us without us. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, don't make anything about this community without including the community. Sure. That makes sense. So if you check out Twitter, which I'm not on, you should get a sick of my podcast, Twitter. Well, I don't think I'd. <laughs> uh, the Autistic Cats, <laughs> at The Autistic Cats, one word on Twitter, created a thread while watching the movie so that we didn't have to watch the movie. Um, and they stated, it is deeply reminiscent of the exaggerated mannerisms non-autistic people often employ when bullying autistics and developmentally disabled people for the ways that we move. This included rolling their eyes, pushing their lips into their gums to reveal their front teeth and her own interpretation of stimming. Um, and she was also in blackface for part of this film and wears headphones that look like braided buns, but that's a story for another day. So the caricature of disability that they chatted about here, this has been happening for years. So as I said in the beginning of this podcast that many people messaged me about the film What's Eating Gilbert Grape as an example of representation. Now, did you see that film? No, 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 I don't. I don't care for young Leonardo DiCaprio in <laughs> films. I didn't care for that or uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet or Titanic. I never watched Titanic either. <laughs> now, so this movie I watched a lot when I was little. And just a like lot? What, what do you mean a lot? A lot I watched a lot of movies well, you that had it on I shouldn't DVD? have. What do you mean? I did. I had it on DVD, and I'm pretty sure they played it on Stars a lot. And my mom. Oh, you had Stars. We had Stars. I didn't. Have, I didn't have cable, as mentioned. Uh, my mom liked this movie too, mostly because she likes Johnny Depp. Um, well, who doesn't? <laughs> but anyway, it's a 1993 film starring Leo DiCaprio as a character named Artie, who is a 17-year-old boy with an unspecified neurodivergence. He's supposed to be 17 in that movie. He's yeah. so much older. No, I mean, uh, younger. I mean, in in the in the. Well, that's that's a trope that ah. people with developmentally dis developmental disabilities are childlike, um, which is you know the caricature that he put on. So they never actually say what Artie has is just assume that he's going to die young. So the film is surrounding his seventeenth birthday party. So films like these. And as you were talking about with uh, Walter White and Walter Jr., these focus on the family and not the disabled characters. And the disability allows for the character develop uh, development of somebody else. So in this film, it's terrible representation. One, because it's not from an actual, uh, well, he's not specifically autistic in this film, uh, from somebody who's not disabled but Artie experiences constant neglect and physical abuse due to the lack of patience from his family members so it's not really a wholesome story and there's also a lot of fat phobic narrative uh, surrounding the mother so this movie's I rewatched it for this uh, assignment um, did not age well mm. so do you uh, does that make you think a little bit um, differently about what you had said about Walter Jr. and the character development to Walter White like you could see how like the son was kind of used 
like it that him having cerebral palsy otherwise is not important to the story besides it makes walter you, you pity him a little bit more for the financial burden i guess well i yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get to the nuts and bolts of the Breaking Bad plot, but I, I think that it's not actually what the plot... I mean, it's in there because he wants to kind of live a certain lifestyle and do bad things, and he's using that as an excuse, and, and, and that is another ability for him to kind of have an excuse if anyone asks him, you know, why he would do the things he does in his head. He can qualify because of this situation and because, you know... And, and I think it has to do more with just the cost of someone who needs maybe additional uh, care or something along those lines mm-hmm. more than it has to do with the actual uh, plot of the disability in the his day-to-day life or anything along those lines. Yeah. So if anything, Walter um, kind of mailed that in, but um, I don't I don't think it was too involved in the story because they also were like, oh, well, he's got a baby on the way. Uh, his wife's not working, all this stuff. It's just a classic thing for it's like it's, you know... It's, he was it's, making excuses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's but it's a classic thing for it's like I'm desperate to get money for this reason. Mm-hmm. And so you list the things. I got a pregnant wife. I got a, a kid who who it costs, you know, more because he has, you know, you know disability. So you have to pay for extra for that. And so it's just like the, 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 the check boxes of things that cost money. Mm-hmm. I got a sick mother. I got a... You know what I mean? It's all It all kind of goes along with it. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that makes sense. So, regardless of the emotional impact, it's a, it's a as we've spoken about in this podcast before, it's costly to be a, a person who has, you know, a disability. As you mentioned earlier at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to caricatures, uh, excluding disabled people from production furthers stigma that are portrayed through other disability tropes. Um, we've talked about physical. Uh, disability and autism uh, quite a bit here, but there's also the mental illness that is often portrayed wrong. Um, like you never see mental illness uh, in your film, in films or television as like your office mate who takes their medication after they have their breakfast so that it doesn't upset their stomach. An office mate? What are you, <laughs> it's only you're like a, uh, is that like an English thing? My office mate. Yeah. Um, all right, so your coworker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what office mate? Where did, where did you co- uh, uh, take this from and, and not cite it correctly? Well, this, uh, the reason it says office mate is because I said it myself. I see. And I, that you, was me trying to sound fancy. Oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Perkis uh, refers to several mental illness tropes. Uh, one way that we are probably the most familiar with is the homicidal maniac, which portrays people with mental wait, illness. Wait, wait. Who the heck is Perkis? Perkis is the author who I'm citing uh, right now oh. with these disability tropes. Oh, I think we just. I which, like, as I said at the beginning of this episode. All of the literature is in the description well, of the podcast. thank goodness for that. So we got the homicidal maniac portrays people with mental illness as aggressive or dangerous. So classic, we got the Halloween films. He escapes the mental institution and he's killing people. It's a pretty classic uh, horror film trope. Yep. Next we got, um, I mean, there's tons of them, but there's also the rebellious free spirit or someone who's very eccentric and odd. Um, and they're trying to say something that involves some sort of justice uh, being served. Um, and then once that happens and they're vindicated, they're welcomed back into society. Um, so only once their sanity is vindicated that are they uh, considered normal in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all sorts of tropes like that um, and how they can be detrimental to the disability community. Um but let's go back to movies that are doing a really great job because I mentioned some that are 
doing really terrible ones, but there are some really fabulous ones. Uh, after the release of Peanut Butter Falcon, a film about a man with Down syndrome and his journey to becoming a professional wrestler, Andrew Polrang wrote an article for Forbes titled, Dis- Disability Movies Aren't What They Used to Be, and That's Good. The film stars Zach Gottensig- Gottsagan, <laughs> a man with Down syndrome, uh, alongside Shia LaBeouf. Did you see this one? No. I know you didn't because I watched it without you. Yeah, so why did you even ask? <laughs> Uh, so he uh, compares the film to films in the past, like Rain Man, Forrest Gump, the Theory of for it. Theory of Everything, yep. and Me Before You, among others. Which Wait, all the Theory of Everything you just said before was no good. No, that's what I'm saying. He's comparing these films to oh. Rain Man. Oh, these were not good. These, these ones, ones are not saying. good. Oh, so I he, see. Well, I'm gonna finish. I'll get to it. Why? Yeah. So uh, these portrayed disabled people as angry with their condition or lashing out over the loss of their ability. Or let's say a blind person who can see more than sighted people or intellectually disabled people as childlike and innocent, as you said, um, like in uh, What's Eaten Gilbert Grape. Uh, and probably the most harmful trope is that disabled people feel that they're better off dead and that they're such a burden to the people who are taking care of them. Good Lord. What movie is that in? Um, I think that's in Me Before You. I didn't see that film, though. Ah, I see. Um, but that's a, a common thing. That was also in the film with um, Brian Cranston and... Oh, Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart. Uh, what's that one called? I don't know. No one saw it. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called, but that's another thing where he feels that he'd just be better off dead because they, he cannot handle the disability I of his see, life. I see, I um, And of course, you know, some people do feel that way, but that's really not <laughs> the case. So uh, the Crippled Scholar blog wrote about Peanut Butter Falcon and praising it uh, for not doing any of these things. And they said, far too often, disabled characters are plot devices who serve as objects of inspiration or pity and fail to show the audience the realistic and humanized portrayal of the disability experience. Peanut Butter Falcon, on the other hand, manages to portray Zack as a well-rounded character with agency within a plot at times that at times depends on a degree of unreality. This definitely is a film that stands apart in his ability to portray depth and truth throughout a story that is at times dreamlike. So this film doesn't ignore the reality that people with Down syndrome often face, but it doesn't perpetuate any stereotypes, nor is it inspiration porn. You know what I mean by inspiration porn? Yeah, I've heard of that. I mean, but, you know. It's, uh, why don't you explain it? So inspiration porn is like the Facebook video that your aunt shares on Facebook about. Well, not my, aunt. <laughs> my aunts are all great. <laughs> about the, um, uh, the, the girl with Down syndrome who got asked to prom by the neurotypical boy who's on the football team. And like how nice that she would get a chance to go to prom with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. It's kind of like that. But I should also say that this movie does have Shia LaBeouf in it, who has his, uh, another whole can of worms of, of kind of like abusive and, and, and misogynistic and violent behavior. So I think there should be a trigger warning to that. Even though it does just do this piece of representation, it, you know, we don't want to lend support to that type of uh, behavior. As yeah, well. he, he is certainly a problematic individual, and we don't have to get into that too much. You can do your own research about that. But, um, the actual portrayal of disability in this movie was done really, really well. Correct. So when we talk about, um, I said it doesn't ignore the reality that people with Down syndrome face. Uh, a lot of times in this movie, he's you know called the R word, um, and he goes like, "Oh, you know, I feel like like I can't do anything because I'm the R word," um, and it, that's the reality that a lot of people face 
Um, so they don't ignore that. And it's not all like rainbows and butterflies, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we have, we talked about a couple of different things about how we could do that, but how else can we have proper representation? So we can also hire disabled actors to play characters who are not disabled. So as I said, American Horror Story, I love American Horror Story, uh, but trigger warning, that's also a uh, show that's kind of hard to watch. Uh, but Nan in season three is about witches. Her power was mind reading, but she didn't have the trope of an all-knowing person because of her disability. Her powers were really no more special than her peers, and her Down syndrome really isn't mentioned in the show besides a snarky comment from another character. Um, but it otherwise probably wasn't written for somebody with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. We also have Stranger Things, Dustin, played by Gaten Matarazzo. He has, in real life... Clitocranial dysplasia. Mm. I think I said that right. I think you did. Um, and it's not important to the character at all. And they ended up writing it in later. Um, and they do have one line about it in the show, uh, or a couple lines, uh, when he gets bullied because he doesn't have front teeth. Um, and he could do, he's missing his collarbones. They just, I think they would just, he's born without them. So he could like touch his shoulders together. So his character does that. But it's otherwise it doesn't matter to the story and it could have been cast by anybody else, but they chose him and they chose to include his disability in the character. Right. Then we have Ali Stroker, who we also talked about in the holiday episode. She is a Tony Award winning actress for her performance in Oklahoma. Yeah. She uses a wheelchair for mobility. Um, she's been in more films recently, which we chatted about. Yeah, I thought maybe there was a chance we could win a Tony for that holiday special the podcast episode <laughs> it was a good one it was a good one and, uh, no songs though it's not on broadway not we'll, yet. we'll get there we'll get there um but her wheelchair um use is not relevant to the story but they are uh but it's included the difference is visible or apparent um and it's acknowledged so probably the last thing that i will talk about and the most important form of representation is telling disabled stories so let's begin with the show In the Dark on CW. You watch that one? No. <laughs> this is good, Do you though. watch any television? I don't have cable. <laughs> but listen, this is good, though, because I'm getting a lot, much like the listeners at home, I'm getting a lot of uh, recommendations for things that I can check out. So, yeah. Yeah. So this show, uh, is the main character is blind. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix if you're like us and you don't have cable. Um, but the, sh the star of the show, the actress, is not blind. However, Lori Bernson is a blind woman, and she serves as a consultant for the show, and she was involved in casting. Right. So this is super important because um, <laughs> the, the actress uh, or the character uses a seeing eye dog, um, and somebody had asked, why didn't you get a seeing eye dog for the job? So she said... And I totally did not realize they were dog actors, but of course there are. She said that they chose to hire a dog actor rather than using an actual seeing eye dog because um, when you are doing the take for the shot four or five times, the dog thinks that they did something wrong and then they break down because they're the, the seeing eye dog. That's their job, you know? Right. So do that decision is even made with proper representation. Wait a minute, but the character, the actor who's playing the person is not blind? She's not blind, but it's still... So I don't think that there's a... Uh, there that, And then we talked about this on the holiday episode too. Like It's not necessarily like, you need to hire disabled people to play all these disabled roles, or you need to hire this, you need to do that. That's not, there's no real blanket answer for this. 
it's more about getting the story told right so having consultants on the show she said that this character this blind woman who is the consultant said that this character or this actress was best for the character um and then there's other uh blind actors and actresses included in the show but the the main actress is not blind all right i mean it's a little confusing but okay yeah and i I did a lot of uh research to see if there's any backlash um from it but there there really isn't but that can't be the defining factor to something like this i mean it it can't be right because there's nobody complaining about it that's not how it works no i don't think so but i think that you know proper involvement of the community that you're trying to portray to make the story accurate is also important so that it's not just you know written from the assumption of an onlooker absolutely it's for sure yeah i mean it's so better than that nothing yeah sure they could have definitely cast a blind actress but there's also room for representation in other areas okay in the in the production all right so we also have um i'm going to end this with examples of things that are wonderful because i did a lot of smack talk on some bad examples so we got uh, another amazing show that's one of my favorites special which is on netflix it's a semi-autobiographical memoir-based show starring ryan o'connell he's a man with cerebral palsy in the story he gets hit by a car he's unscratched but as he walks away witnesses see him walking and assume that he's been hurt from the accident but uh, it's really just his cp um, but he loves the attention that he's getting, so he just goes with it. Well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. And like he, you know, the guilt builds. Um, yeah. You know, it's a lot of internalized ableism, all sorts of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's interesting. Really great show. So you talked about Brian Wilson earlier. Love and Mercy is also a great example. So they didn't hide um, the actors in the film. Um, don't have schizoaffective disorder. You know, this was a 2014 biopic about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys who about his experience with schizoaffective disorder. Um, but it uh, portrays the abuse that he faced from his caretaker and manager. So Brian Wilson was heavily involved in the project and he approved the portrayal and even shared that the trauma he faced was even worse than what was portrayed in the film. So even if you can't cast somebody to play a disabled person or to play a mentally ill person, you're still telling the true story of somebody who was who did experience this and well, that person is very putting, involved you're putting a lot of emphasis on the word can't which is probably not correct i mean they, they chose not to certainly they could no they certainly could um but i think that is as important as casting is it's still just as important to be telling these stories and to have the involvement in uh, more than just the acting role. Okay, but let me do this then. Let me say if Stephen Hawking was still alive and he said that Eddie Redmayne's performance was exactly accurate and, and great and he loved it and he, and he thought it was amazing and, and that's exactly what I wanted to do, then, then he's off the hook? Uh, I wouldn't say that he's off the hook, but I would say that it certainly helps. The involvement. Okay, all right. But what, And I'm going to get to this, but like, what is the issue with it then? What is the So if somebody's doing a bad portrayal or if they're doing something, if they're creating some sort of inspirational porn or if they're doing something bad, what, what is it that, what is the problem? What is the, what is the damage done? Well, I mean, we mentioned all of the, you know, the stereotypes that it can, it forces and it, how it's been making these people feel um, and all the, the citations of all these people who, wrote these articles uh, in response to these films, it's important to see, so you're trying to represent a community, like Sia's film, she's trying to, um, you know, represent autism, but 
the autism commu- community shouting from the rooftops, you're harming me by doing this. Harm, these, that's what it these is. These are I see. Um, harmful stereotypes. You are in the, you know, in the film, she also um, portrays, you know, when the, um, the uh, character named Music is experiencing, a, you know, a, a public breakdown um they like restrain her and that could be really dangerous so it's so the information that is gathered from the portrayal in certain movies can create a perception to the public that can lead to the people in those communities to feel harm based on the treatment they receive exactly i understand okay so we can combat that by hiring actual disabled people to play disabled parts we can provide more representation by pr- having disabled people play parts that aren't disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can, I think the most important here is telling accurate disabled stories. Um, so making sure that if you are telling a story about a blind person, that you have a blind consultant on the show to make sure that the experience is accurate. And to also make sure that that consultant is consulting a other community. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make sure that it's re- intersectional and properly represented. So if you had me r- writing a film about Crohn's, it would be a film about a white girl who has ins- health insurance who has Crohn's. Right. You know? With the effort to be to minimize the harm to the community as possible. And then a- in, the, in the best scenario would be to create some sort of um, improvement to the community by expanding the knowledge or, or pro- providing information that can be helpful to uh, people that are interacting with that community. Exactly. I understand. So we'll, we will lead off with a couple more uh, examples of film that are great representation. Close out, yeah. You said lead off. Conclude. Conclude. <laughs> we have uh, my favorite, I've, well, actually, so, all right, my favorite documentary, not my favorite show. Uh, Crip Camp is a 2020 Netflix documentary, which was nominated for an Oscar, but lost. Um, and it starts in 1971 at Camp Jeanette, which is a summer camp for teens with disabilities. And it follows the campers into their involvement in the disability rights movement through the 90s. It's fabulous. Um, watch that on Netflix. Amazing. Love it, love it, love it. And then we also have Netflix is doing a great job, by the way. Easy there. <laughs> Easy there. Easy there. We got Love on the Spectrum which is a reality show following seven young autistic adults as they explore dating and love. So those are the last couple of ones that we let off with some nice examples to watch. So these conversations are important to have. Um, when we revisit these films, some of them make us cringe. Uh, for example, I'm watching Gilmore Girls for the first time now. Um, We'll get into that another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in one episode, Rory is getting so upset about her lack of extracurricular activities and she uses the R word. And she says, you know, you know I'll have to teach somebody, uh, you know, an R word kid how to play softball so I can edit through my resume. And like, <laughs> I had to rewind it. I'm like, she didn't just say that. Because like, if they, that would never be said today in that way. Right. Um, and I shared that on Instagram shortly after I asked people about representation. And I got so many responses about how outdated and horrific the show is, and not to mention the fat phobia comments. And had somebody not said one day, like, hey, it offends me when you say the R word, we would probably still be saying it um, in the same way that we used to say, like, oh, that's so gay, or the same way actors filmed in blackface. And it's important to have these conversations, and they're not meant to make you feel bad. They're meant to make you progress towards an inclusive future. So... 
as you asked throughout this, there's no blanket answer. It, uh, I don't want to say it's complicated because I don't think it is. Um, there's so, just a lot of options and ways that you can properly represent people. So I will just leave it off that we should hire disabled people, tell disabled stories, and learn how to take criticism and progress towards an inclusive future. I think that's a good idea. Me too. Do you have any questions about my presentation? Well, listen, you, you've provided a lot of information and and I think this is, is and I think you've made a lot of great points, but as I always think is that I'm not just going to take your words for this. I, I think you've, you've collected some great sources here or certainly some opinions or some sources here and, I, and I'm going to go and I'm going to read up on these things myself and I'm going to get some knowledge from, from first-hand sources because just like these movies, Kayla, you're just, you know, reporting and, and, and collecting information in a way that's presentable, but I think it's important for me as, a, as an active uh, uh, viewer to, to get some information for myself. I think that's exactly right. Very good. Well, I appreciate you having being on the show and, and uh, telling us all this stuff, Kayla. Yeah, thanks for the sick invite. All right. Ah. I have to pee so bad. Oh.